This is not a dream job, this is reality. I am an actor. The best word I can say but uh, will describe this was boom. And I think that you are an ostrich. Well, your head must be in the sand. But Premier League is a fraud. Ferret head. Very much looks like a ferret, doesn't it? It's fun, is that? It's the second time it's gone off. Hello and welcome to the Balls.ie football show. That's our football show here on Balls.ie, brought to you in association with Ladbrokes. My own name is Gavin Casey and sat next to me here at HQ, standing up at the moment, trying to... Sort out his microphone and his life is Gavin of the Coonies. Hey, Gav. How are things? How the hell are you? Struggling well? with both things. Uh, yeah, particularly the mic, I'd say, Gav. Yeah, you're all right there? I'm nearly set. Yeah, you're putting your own safety there into uh, into question. That's grand. Listen, while you're fiddling away there, oh, that sounds wrong. But anyway, uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and any decent podcast provider, Gav. Uh, simply search mm. balls.ie football or even balls.ie podcasts and it'll become fairly apparent what you're looking at, uh, you should find it fairly handily. By the way, a uh, special little incentive to look for this podcast at the moment is uh, our friends in football podca- podcast with Graham Hunter, uh, which is out the last couple of days. Uh, Graham is a madman, an absolute wild man. He, uh, he had a big night out the night before, I think. Uh, yeah, we had separate nights out, and I thought, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be struggling here. But thankfully, Graham's hungover mantra seems to be just keep talking i barely had, <laughs> i barely had to say a word and to be honest most of his uh most if not all of his words were very valid and interesting some great stories also like just him touching upon why english teams are a little bit shit i found mm. uh really interesting we did he an also, article on he, that during he the week g- he pretty much got at the spain dressing room after the world cup in oh, 2010 yeah. some of these like the stories are absolutely mental so like jealous. he was on a he was on the team bus after they'd won the tournament and I think Pedro comes up to him, hands him a can of Budweiser and says, you know, thanks for everything. And Graham thought that he'd mistaken him for Howard Webb, who had uh, <laughs> dealt with Spain. Well, God the perception that was that he was favourable towards Spain in that final. I mean, uh, yeah. By the way, on the topic of uh, famous sports football broadcasters who are bold, James Richardson's on the podcast today. Yes, James Richardson of uh, Channel 4's iconic Football Italia fame. Also... Uh, an enjoyer of great desserts, James mm. Richardson, as uh, would have become apparent if you watched Channel 4 at all in the, well, I suppose, 90s, 2000s, uh, until it moved to Eurosport. But then we followed James, you know, like I, I was like, when it went from Channel 4, I was like, well, I need to, where am I going to find it, you know? Uh, yeah, you had, the, you had the chat with James. I was absolutely gutted to miss that one. Yeah, we tried to ring it yesterday. <laughs> yesterday, we tried to ring him when I was here and I was really looking forward to it. But uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing that one back. That is coming up, and so too is the Ladbrokes bet of the week, which at the moment is looking particularly decent. Ajax are playing against Leon right at this second as oh, we're wow, recording. Oh, why you put it on that? Uh, no, oh, um, no right, it's, far, it's a it's a treble. Uh, oh, wow. So Ajax, I don't know. We'll touch on it later. Ajax okay. are tuning up. Casper Dolberg, the Danish forward, he's a serious player. I literally just said to you ten seconds before you went out to make and tea here. He scored a beautiful goal, uh, 19-year-old. Like I think the scouts who discovered him also discovered Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Christian Eriksen. And I was I was out, where was I? Might have been the Bernard Shaw a couple of weeks ago, and I bumped into a Dutch football journalist whose name escapes me now. I have his number here. We might get him on someday. But he was telling me about Dahlberg, and he said, I, I watched Ibrahimovic for Ajax at this age. Uh, and I, I, I have to cut, you across, cut across you on the Dahlberg stuff. That's the most hipster sentence I've ever heard. I was in the Bernard Show and I met a Dutch football journalist. 
Yeah, Dutch football being among the most hipster of the... Well, I mean, the original football hipster, like the, yeah, the uh, epicenter of football hipsterism, <laughs> I guess, uh, the Netherlands. But yeah, this guy was saying, like, Dahlberg has everything that Eber had at that age and a little bit more. Like, he thinks he can be the next big thing, not just for Ajax, because he's sort of resigned to losing him, but for in European football as a, a great centre forward, as opposed to maybe the Kylian Mbappes of this world who'll okay. be cutting in off the wing for at least the next five years before he uh, establishes himself <laughs> in Manchester United's first team as a as a striker. <laughs> but anyway, Jesus, we went off on a tangent there. I didn't even know the Bernard Shaw was a hipster sort of place. I just oh, wandered is, in yeah. there. It's got, the a guy, bus, it's got a bus out the back the, and it gives out free pizza once a week to people with speci- specific names, but they're quite alternative names. Oh, Maybe right. that's a smart business decision. Yeah, a reminder that this shames. podcast is sponsored by Ladbrokes and not, <laughs> not Bernard, Bernard Shaw. Shaw but we are open to uh, other discussions. No, um, the guy actually, the Dutch journalist, he had just gone to a Bohemians game, I think, speaking of of football historism, and thoroughly enjoyed it. He was wearing a Bose jersey, and he said, like, it was the most organic and beautiful footballing experience he'd had in some time, because the Dutch league, the Eredivisie, had sort of become, I guess, emulsified or or in some way um, detrimentally affected by commercialism and you know mm. the way the Premier League has gone in the last in the last world the Eredivisie has sort of fallen victim to similar so he said he just enjoyed going to a football game to watch the football that wasn't necessarily a the greatest league in the world Gav well there you go there you go so one for the League of Ireland fans uh, all 12 of you who listen to this <laughs> podcast <laughs> toss you your meat there <laughs> that's it we'll also listen later on we also have got a, a fairly special installment of weird shit from the internet uh, it was really really enjoyable there's great humour and despair Yes, there was humour and despair on the football internet this week, and then I think a large degree of despair today. And we kind of need to talk about the Daily Mail and the Mirror and their sort of, I suppose you'd call it obnoxious treatment of this story about Aaron Lennon. Mm. So, I mean, if you haven't heard the story, and I'm sure you probably have, but just in case you haven't, Aaron Lennon was uh, detained by Greater Manchester Police. Uh, He was found basically on the side of a road or near a motorway in Manchester in in distress. So they brought him in under the uh, Mental Health Act and detained him kind of for his own safety is basically what, what you'd gather from that. And uh, Everton have released a statement, uh, so have the Greater Manchester Police. And, you know, hopefully, obviously, before we discuss this any further, you'd hope that Aaron gets the help he needs. Absolutely. Nobody is immune, obviously, to mental health issues. Uh, it's probably closer to all of us than we let on as a as a society, but it just goes to show um, it doesn't matter about money or whatever. Oh, another little message there into sponsored posts from the <laughs> lads. But it just goes to show that one of the comments, one of the comments on our uh, post about it and it was interesting. I, I I looked at the reaction on our Facebook page, and without um, wanting to tr- throw balls readers under the bus, I was a little bit. I entered the comment section with an element of trepidation. I was mm. like, "Oh God," because you just don't know what you're going to get from people with stories like this. And in fairness, the, I think it was the top comment, or at least the, one of the first comments was like, "Oh, I can't wait for all the people who say, oh, how can a man with this much money be mentally ill?'" It was, and it got like a lot of likes people i think it resonated with people because yeah i do think the taboo days are sort of drawing to a close with this but also you still have a few morons um a few of them work for the daily mail and a few of them work for the mirror i would say a few of them edit the daily mail yes and exactly and, and the that's that's daily the mirror. issue so, so we, like we did have a chat about this as to whether we should discuss yeah what they wrote in terms of uh, like 
it is giving action and it is publicizing what they wrote. And I was quite sympathetic to that point of view, like not talk about it. Um, but ultimately, we think it kind of should be discussed because it should be pointed out that what they did is fundamentally wrong. Yeah, see, the my issue with... A lot of people got back to us. We sort of did like an article about what they had said and how disgraceful it was. And a, a good few people got back to us and saying... I understood where they were coming from. They were saying, well, as you were saying there, Gav, why mm. would you sort of regurgitate it? Or why would you perpetuate what they've done when you know it's wrong? Uh, nobody really wants to be reading these words and you're just spreading that sort of vile message or culture further. My issue with that, and it, yeah, you, you could make the argument that, yeah, we just ignore it and, and we hope it goes away. My issue with it is that if you do ignore it and if you don't put it up, it'll never go away. Yeah. Um, we just we just clarify exactly what they what they wrote. Yeah, we should. Uh, I'll get that up in front of me here. Yeah, so like we'll start with the Daily Mail and mm. their their article on this story. I won't name the writer because I actually don't think this comes down to the writers, and you don't know how much of a an input they have in these stories. I do think it's an editorial thing, but uh, written in their article is the flying winger who has been known to party with female Towie stars Lauren Goodger and Maria Fowler has had a colourful life off the pitch. In May last year, he was fined six hundred sixty pounds and given six and given six point after he was spotted speeding at fifty six miles an hour in a forty mile an hour zone in his Land Rover. Uh, the player is also said to ha- have had an argument with One Direction star Liam Payne in twenty thirteen when the singer confronted Lennon over the way he was talking to the waitress. Like, th- I'm not going to read any more of it, right? But mm. the, the the crux of it is. What does any of that have to do with the fact that Aaron Lennon is suffering from mental mental health issues? Yeah, and the headline I think had it carried his wage, whatever. Yeah, fifty whatever a week footballer. Yeah. Um, it means like it's it's like it's it's fundamentally wrong. It is, but it's, it's a, it's a rotten culture. I mean, it, it. The problem with it's, and you'll see this especially with the Premier League, is that it's so drenched in money; it's been utterly ruined by it. Because everything, because everything, everyone's being paid so much and everything is so expensive and everything is so corporate, everybody is almost stripped of their humanity. And this is what the tabloids do in particular. Everyone does it, but particularly the tabloids do it. Everything is just commodified. And with footballers at the elite level, um, people just can't see past the money anymore. They're just defined by what they drive, who they go out with, and how much they earn every week. Whereas, like, we often we go too far with footballers in assuming that they're just mercenaries and they're not affected by... So, like, say Paul Pogba's brought over for £80 million back to England and he won't fire for the first three months, he won't score X amount of goals or turn in those kind of amazing performances, what you, what you would expect relative to the price you paid for him. But, like... The, it's forgotten that he's human and he has other things going off the pitch. And going back to what we talked last week on last week's podcast with Johnny McInnistry, the, the football manager, he talked about the biggest challenge being you're managing humans. Mm. You're dealing with people. And this is always forgotten. And the ta- tabloids in particular are always rushed. It's easier to judge when you judge someone when you don't treat them as a human. Yep. And it's just, and this is just a propagation of, and promulgation and continuation of everything that they do is that they just strip people of their humanity so they can it's easier it's easier fodder the vultures can circle over something that has no life a lot easier than yeah. it can if they're sentient um and what they're doing here is they're saying that mental health is not an important issue 
when it in terms in it's not important in obscuring what we want to do and denying what we want to do in terms of commodifying footballers. I haven't expressed that very very well, um, but like the whole point of this and what has been heartening about this story is to see the entire football world rally around and people who you think live in gold plated mansions immune to the world and immune to the world's problems. It's an it, it's a preposterous idea, but it's one propagated by media and it's not true so it has been heartening to see that this happens to everyone best of luck Aaron and the stripping away of taboo around mental health issues has been one of the most heartening things I've seen in Irish society in the last five or six years so I started college in 2011 and I feel that the one one of the things that our generation will be defined for is that people come out and say it's okay to not be okay you know like there's nothing this is appalling that has happened to Aaron Lennon, but there's nothing wrong with it. No, exactly. And and like that's the thing. We we've all known somebody who it's happened to or it's happened to ourselves, you know. Like I think everybody has their own battles and like it's a weird thing as well. We're just going back to the mail and, and the mirror. I mean, there's no even point in reading out what the mirror said. It was along similar lines, a little bit more tame, but it was also published eight hours after the Daily yeah. Mail article. So they saw the blowback and they said, Yeah, let's go for that as well. We're looking for a similar reaction for some reason. But it it's like these certain publications and there is a culture of it where footballers become just sort of faceless nameless commercial entities yeah. you know a 55 grand a week footballer has breakdown you know like it, it just strips them of their humanity i think you might have said that a second ago and it's uh it's just a really horrible way of looking at the world and mm. the thing is right just going back to the reaction to lenin himself and the story and it was heartening and uh, we, I noticed right last night, I was here on my own in the office and I was like faced with this sort of dilemma of, okay, I've seen that the family have asked for privacy or asked for Lennon's privacy to be respected. Do I just not do the story then? Or, you know, like, which side of that do I come down on? Ultimately, I decided to do the story because as much as it's not for me to judge what the family is looking for when they're asking for privacy, I think that's. I think the understanding is that they're asking for privacy beyond this point. This story has happened now. Here's our statement mm. on the story. Please don't d- try and you know delve in any further into it for no reason and invade or intrude upon uh, our family members' privacy. However, the story had happened. It is newsworthy and it also... <sighs> I just think to hide away from it and just pretend, oh God, oh that happened to him. Let's not let's not talk about it. That again, that's just bringing us back ten years. Mm. The thing is that that's the point. Your your point there a second ago about somebody suffering from mental mental health issues is the most normal thing in the world. Mm. It, it's a new story in the sense that yeah, he had, he was detained and there there was police involved, but also it's just pointing out that this has happened and this can happen to human beings. Mm. It doesn't matter if they're footballers or what money they're earning. And I was also uh, going back to the comments section and on our Facebook page. I didn't see really the reaction to other publication stories. I mean, I think this is originally broken, by the way, by Mike Keegan of, of, of the Daily Mail, of the Daily Mail, who who does stuff for uh, the Manchester Evening News, generally speaking. But if you look at the reaction on the story that we had on Facebook, all it is is just hundreds of well wishes for the guy. Yeah, you know, like uh, the the time is gone where. The ta- the taboo time is coming to an end. You're right about our generation. It'll be one of the things that define us if we're not already defined by fucking selfies and neck mm. nominations or whatever the <laughs> hell. Um, but the culture is changing, and I think it's just you look at what the Daily Mail and the Mirror did then, and it's like you're just brought back to those kind of crap times where this issue wasn't understood or wasn't respected. Um, 
that's pretty much all I have to say about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't have too much more to add, to be honest. I, I wish. All you, you just wi- you just wish, wish the guy, the guy well, well, yeah. Um, and he's not. This isn't a special case. There are literally millions, if not billions, of people afflicted by similar. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, wish him well. We hope he gets the treatment he uh, he needs, and uh, hopefully we'll see him back on the pitch in the coming months or you know whenever, whenever yeah. he's ready. Uh, we got to James Richardson. Jesus, yeah, it's going to be a tough segue. The jealousy flickering into your eyes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, AC Jimbo joined uh, me earlier on today because he's in Dublin next month at a Football Weekly event. Uh, we have a special offer for you around that. Um, but you do have to stick around and listen to the interview first or else skip a half an hour ahead and we'll <laughs> tell you about it at the end. I'm not sure why you'd want to go to the event but skip the interview with the person who's hosting the event, to be fair. Um, so I started off by asking him what you lovely people can expect if you rock up to the National Stadium to Football Weekly Live next month. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. Well, obviously, it's a huge arena, I'm told. So, um, something pretty spectacular. Uh, based around a remarkable lineup, Amy Lawrence joining us, Barney Roney, uh, myself, obviously producer Ben, and uh, Barry will be along. So uh, many of your your favourite characters from the long-running soap opera that is Football Weekly will be there. And uh, what we'll do is, um, to an extent, dependent on what people want us to do, but I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have a bit of chat about whatever's... Uh, the issue at the moment or anything that seems interesting. And then we'll kind of throw it open to, to questions and that. Um, what's also exciting is that um, we're going to be having a little pre-show uh, event uh, based around the works of the, the great writer uh, Steve Bruce. So that's something to look forward to as well. Uh, yeah, Seamus O'Reilly and Ken earlier doing that. And Seamus had the very first of those reviews yeah. appeared on our site. So plenty of our listeners will be familiar with that. James, when you started hosting Football Weekly, did you ever expect you'd be playing to stadiums? Uh, no, I think it's probably the, the fairest answer there. No, I uh, when I started hosting uh, Football Weekly, it was pretty much the first time I'd heard of a podcast. I mean... Uh, in any kind of real practical sense. And I was convinced that it was a terrible idea, but um, but kind of did it anyway, because I was writing for The Guardian and they wanted to do it. So I said, okay, yeah, I can do that. But yeah, I really didn't think that it was going to become something that would find uh, an audience the way that it has. So, um, you know, 10 years, what was it, 11 years on now, I'm still sort of constantly happily surprised by it all. Yeah. What do you put the success down to? The fact that there was a an area of people, uh, a, a, a kind of part of the football-loving public, that hadn't really been catered for, I don't think, in, in the way that football was being presented or discussed, certainly in the UK, uh, the kind of attitudes, the kind of... I think the way that things were being done before, it was fallen into a certain formula, which obviously worked for some and that's why it kept being used but you know, there were a large number of people who, who didn't think of football in that way or want to hear it described in that way who maybe you know didn't think of it in, in, in quite the same well had a slightly more irreverent approach to it all I guess you might say and I think the other thing is that 
because the, the broadcasting landscape has changed and the way that people can watch football and experience football has changed, whether because travel's easier or because you can see stuff from all over the world more easily now, the fact that the, the broadcasting world has changed, that it's really opened up with things like podcasting and blogging and just making it a much more democratic ex- exercise. I think that it's just basically empowered that whole area of, of football fandom, as it were, uh, to uh, you know to, to find themselves as a, as a community. And we've been quite fortunate in that we were there kind of at the start of that and uh, seemed to have kind of had a common voice with with, with a lot of those people. Uh, um, plus, it's free, you know. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a good selling point, all right. Um, we, James, mm. we asked loads of our listeners to send in questions and uh, a lot of them centred around the question I kind of really wanted to ask and probably one of the, the one of the cornerstones of the podcast success air um and they're your puns um basically most people want to know james whether <laughs> I, we assume that you write them um uh, how long does it take you to write them and which ones stick out because we've we've got our own favorite couple here oh well i couldn't possibly uh, i'd be like sophie and sophie's choice um <laughs> But in terms of writing them, uh, yeah, it's me that does that. How long it takes to write a pun? I mean, I don't. I'm not sure how you can set out to do. Uh, you can actually a little bit because if you've got two things like a football match and Donald Trump, and you think, okay, Donald Trump's topical, and there's been a football game. What areas? What what words intersect? You know, what are the next side? You like also oh, what's the loci in that Venn Venn diagram of, of, of vocabulary mm-hmm. that that you can use to kind of send people one way and then it turns out you're talking about the other, which is what I think a lot of puns are about. So, yeah, you can take that slightly mechanical approach to it all, but most of the time I think puns for any of us are just things that kind of occur to you when, you know, you're thinking about something else and then the two kind of, the, the, the two kind of sign, a, a synapse flares somewhere and you, you realise there's a double entendre. Um yeah, I mean, the, the pun thing is a funny thing. I mean, it's largely based on the fact that I've got zero kind of football and analytical uh, skills to offer. So it, I just used to kind of make puns and stuff. And that, that's remained very much my uh, my um, my contribution. Yeah, uh, we we said you were on the show today and we were we were bombarded with the line, um, Stephen Ireland's had more stiff nans than a dodgy Indian restaurant. Uh, which, I mean, six, right. Six, six, um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I mean that that was certainly one of mine. Um, I'm not sure what would my favorite my what my favorites would be, but uh, certain ones I must admit I'm a bit shameless, and certain ones do get used again and again. Uh, it, were there any others? Uh, there was that. I remember my own personal favorite was when uh, Liverpool lost to Sunderland. It was that beach ball goal. Um, and, oh, yeah. and you said that Liverpool denied by something red, round and overinflated and for once it's not Alex Ferguson's head <laughs> uh, which, right. which, which is pretty right. good one. There, was a lot, there was lots of other around oh. Euro 2012 and Ireland's kind of um, audacious limits at that tournament but we try not to discuss Euro 2012 too much in this podcast because um, right. we try no, to fair, re- fair repress enough. the yeah. memory as, as best we can um, to take you back like obviously Football Weekly is a huge success and the other huge cult success before that was obviously Football Italia on Channel 4. Can you maybe talk to us about, firstly, how you mm-hmm. got involved with it, James? How did I become involved in it? Yeah. Well, uh, I spoke Italian. There was a kind of weird combination of events. I 
was following Italian football because I was going out with this girl from Rome. And, and also I was just kind of interested in it because it was so new at the time. I mean, this was kind of the start of the 90s and satellite TV just started. And on one of the channels in, in, in England, you, know, you could see this kind of funny stuff with people from long hair playing in sunshine, with long hair playing in, in sunshine and all these kind of glamorous locations. And I got quite excited about it. And then I started going out with this girl from Rome and learned Italian. And, and at the same time was sharing a flat with somebody whose friend worked for the company that was making the documentaries about Paul Gascoigne. And when he finally, after 18 months of injuries, was due to come back to football and it was going to be in Italy, that, that same company went to Channel 4 and said, listen, we need to get the rights to this. It turned out they had to buy the whole league to do so. So Channel 4 went, yeah, let's do that. And because of a really happy combination of circumstances, uh, one was the fact that it was that same summer that Sky took Premier League off ITV, so most people couldn't see any live football apart from the Italian stuff. And secondly, the fact that we just had that World Cup in Italy, which everyone in England had done quite well in, Ireland had been involved in. And there was a, there, I think there was a huge amount of kind of warmth and like a slightly nostalgic feeling about Italy and its stadium and and, um, and the third thing, which is kind of big, was the fact that at that point, Serie A was clearly the best football league in the world. Uh, you know, all the best players were there and it was very much the place. And that fed into the Gascoigne narrative a bit because certainly in England, people were really curious to see how he could fare, having, having had an excellent World Cup, how he would fare against very much the world's best. So... So it's those things, I think, put together that, that, that made it such a big draw. Oh, plus, you know, I was saying about you know, that, that area of, 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 of kind of football supporters who hadn't really been catered to by the various programs we'd had in England before. I mean, way back in, in 92, I think the approach to broadcast was more traditional than it was when, say, our podcast started. And we certainly had a very different approach on Football Italia. The guys who put it together were very keen to not have people involved who have been working on other shows with the exception of Kenneth Warson home. Um, I hadn't, I mean, I wasn't a massive fan of the big match or anything like that or, or match the day or that way of doing things. I mean, it just wasn't something that interested me particularly. So I think that it, it was kind of a very different thing. Did you ever imagine it would go on to be the success it would be? Or is, does that ever cross your mind when you, when you're first put in front of the camera? way back in sorry did i ever imagine the what it would go on to be the success that it ultimately turned out to be no well i thought i mean italian football was a big deal but i would i be uh would i make a career out of it uh no and i i thought probably quite the opposite uh football fans can be quite an aggressive uh uh can be quite aggressive in their in their in their criticism of people yeah. who are on telly talking about football um uh, the kind of reactions that i don't know Bobby Savage or Michael Owen get these days. And uh, I must admit, you know, having been offered the job to go and talk about football in, in Italy, I, I was pretty convinced that I would be back home within weeks uh, with my tail between my legs as soon as people actually heard me opening my mouth and, and spouting off about it. We're obviously delighted it didn't work out like that. I, I, wanted, I, <laughs> I, I, I had a look through some of uh, the writing of Football Italia just before... Um, I rang you, and a couple of lines took out. And one on Football 365, um, Football Italia. It was the first intelligent, erudite, and informed and funny show about football and television. Uh, and Sean, Sean Ingall uh, with the Guardian says uh, that Football Italia proved that intelligence and irrelevance uh, were not magnetic opposites. Did you really feel 
like that was something you were trying to prove when you were involved? No, I, I mean, it's really common people say stuff like that. I, a lot of people have warm memories of that program, which might be due to the fact that they were a lot younger in those days. I mean, there's, there's stuff that I can remember from when I was younger that I'm not sure how well it would stand up these days. I, I think they were intelligent people making the program, and, and hopefully I could get included in that cash group. But it wasn't like we, we kind of set out to prove a point or anything. I think that to an extent, it was as much about making sure that we would enjoy watching ourselves as anything else and as i see you know the conditions were all there to make a, a successful show we had the best football we had the best english player for generations we had uh, a wonderful backdrop i mean it couldn't have been better you know all those piazza and and, and, and and wonderful locations in italy that we were filming amongst and we had the absence of competition because the, the, the premier league had just started and had done one to satellite tv so um you know, it was all there for us, and we kind of kicked into an open goal in that sense. Um, they were all smart people making it, and they just made a, a program that I guess didn't assume too much stupidity in the part of the viewer, and uh, and off we went. I mean, it's nice. I, I do appreciate why people look back on it fondly, because it's always nice when someone doesn't kind of underestimate your intelligence. Um, and I, I always appreciate that in, in a program. So I'm, I'm delighted that, 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 we, that people feel we didn't do that either. Yeah, I have a theory, if you let me indulge it for a minute and then you can kind of disabuse me of it as quickly as you as you want. Um, I feel that your work with Football Italia and Football Weekly um, has kind of raised the standards of what football fans expect when they see football discussed on, on television and, well, particularly in television around analysis of games. And that level of demand from the viewer that's quite informed means the likes of Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville on Monday Night Football um, they really have to up their game, and obviously they do, and they produce a very good show. And maybe that's why uh, Michael Owen and Robbie Savage's kind of inanity <laughs> gets so much uh, gets gets so much criticism. Um, I've realised that's not yeah. much of a question, but uh... <laughs> well, it's a lot better than some of my answers. But um, I would say that uh, that's very flattering of you. I don't know if we particularly had much to do with that. I think that um, I think it's it's been interesting with the the way that. Um, things like the internet have really expanded people's ability to talk and make themselves pundits as opposed to just being on the receiving end of punditry through blogging or, or podcasts or whatever it is. And that as much as anything has raised the game, because rather than there being this kind of small cabal of, of, of ex-pros who were allowed to pine on football and, and, and an audience, and now pretty much anyone can do it. And possibly that has made people realize that they need to be a little bit sharper to, to get clear of, to get clear of you know the, the hub of, of, of voices, uh, as regards uh, Neville or Carragher, I mean, it's phenomenal what they do. They have a lot of time to do it in. Um, they have a lot of technology to do it with. Yeah. Uh, both of which are things that you didn't get, I guess, in football programs back in the eighties, because you know there wasn't a dedicated sports channel. And that's not to take anything away from Gary Neville's analysis and Carragher's analysis, which is excellent, and indeed the the editorial decision making behind that which again is very much about saying no the viewer doesn't just want to see the goal from 16 angles they want to know about why a team wins why a team gets into that position all, all, all the stuff that maybe a pro can understand but but uh, needs to be broken down or played at that level so i think that, that, that there are tremendous things going on in, and watching football now is a dream compared to what it was like back in the 80s um 
if we made any contribution to that, that's terrific. But I really don't think we've been the the, the driving factor amongst them. Uh, we just threw in some puns along the way, that's all. <laughs> um, James, I'm going to ask you if you're, for your favourite memories from Football Italia. This is a loaded question that ah. really asks, when did things go wrong? When did things go wrong? Yeah, if anything ever went wrong in live television. As, you know, oh, it's I see, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, things went wrong quite a lot. I mean, in the early years, any attempt to hook up with Paul Gascoigne to film his bits of the show were always doomed to, to failure, but not particularly comic failure, more just sort of uh-huh. sat in the car or stood on a piece of tarmac waiting around failure. Um, in terms of stuff going wrong, uh, the, the riot outside Genoa Milan when I got kind of waylaid by a group of Genoa fans who wanted a tape containing uh, footage of them at, attacking Milan fans, the tape being in a car which was with the crew who were driving off in the opposite direction, having left me behind. That was probably about as wrong as it got. Um, but most of it just kind of went... And if it didn't, it was all right, because we, you know, we did the games live, but Gazetta was always kind of filmed during the week, and there was some stuff that. Uh, so you know, things didn't work out. Yeah, with the general uh, fans, with the general fans, sorry, James, did they, what, did they want the tape yeah. with the evidence on it back off you so you, they could pulp it? Yeah, basically what happened was I mean, it was a, a terrible day. I mean, I'd say things went badly. I mean, it went fatally wrong for one one Jennifer fan, uh, Vincenzo Spagnolo. This is kind of mid-90s. He got stabbed and killed by some visiting Milan fans before a general Milan match that Channel 4 had to be covering live. Um, the word of this kind of filtered around the ground, and by half-time, the fans had let the players know that there's no way that they should be continuing, and that the players agreed. So the game was suspended. We stayed on in the stadium because Channel 4 had a a live slot to film. They just went to coverage of another game and we stayed there so that we would wrap the program up at the end once the other game had finished. And once that happened, we then went outside and there was a major confrontation going on because the Genoa fans now wanted to seek some kind of retribution from the, the, the visiting supporters. Uh, they were all holed up at one end of the ground. The police were forming a ring around that area to try and get them out eventually. And I kind of very naively went, oh, well, I'm sure we're going to be talking about this in next week's show. I'll try and get some footage with our yeah. camera. So I sent the camera to film why I did this and why I didn't just think oh, we'll get it off the newsfeed. I don't know. But anyway, so I said, well, you can film some stuff. I was aware of the fact that the fans were unlikely to welcome, you know, any kind of publicity for, for what they were up to. So I did tell the cameraman, look, just film like, over their shoulders towards the police. You see the stadium with the police kind of ringing here, that kind of thing. But the cameraman was quite an artistic fellow. And having got one or two angles, he felt, no, I think I can get a better shot from over there. And then maybe a shot from over there wouldn't be dramatic if we saw the fans saying this. So he disappears out of sight. And then about five minutes later, he comes back walking extremely briskly with a, a, a kind of growing crowd of people behind him, walking slightly more briskly. And just about the point that he gets to me, they kind of knock the camera off his shoulder. At which point he and, and the sound man just jump into the car that, that I'm standing next to and, and drive off. At that point, I, I feel a wallop and um, a fist is connected in no uncertain terms with, with, with my face. And I turn around and there's this big guy saying, where's the tape? Give me the tape. Um, and I kind of motion at the car, which is kind of busy speeding towards the, <laughs> the first route oh, out. And uh, so, yeah, so there's basically a, a ring of, of Genoa fans who are now extremely unhappy with me. But the funny thing was, at this point, I kind of put on my best kind of doe-eyed, I'm so sorry I haven't done my homework face, and said, no, no, I'm English, I'm English. And they, they made it, the whole situation just changed in an instant. They were, oh, my goodness, so they'll want to get you out of here. 
one of the ultras was delegated to kind of accompany me out of the what by now was a little bit like a war zone with kind of smashed up police cars and that. And he kind of accompanied me out, kind of making polite small talk along the way about Genoa, and stuck me in a taxi and, and off I went. So, um, so yeah. Goodness uh, me. Sorry, you would laugh to a kind of a slightly more light-hearted kind of anecdote. Than I, that, but, um, that, that's uh, but, that's all but, right. But yes, that's one that springs to mind. Goodness me. Um, just a, like a maybe happier memory of Italy. Uh, Francesco Totti actually announced in the last <laughs> hour or so that he's retiring. Did you ever come across him, James? Francesco Totti? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, he's just announced his retirement, or his retirement has been announced for him, perhaps. Um, but he was playing almost as soon as our show started. I think 93, 94, he made his debut for Roma. And extraordinary statistic that this season, I think something like 33%, almost a third of all the players in Serie A weren't even born <laughs> when he made his debut. So, um, yeah, along the, along the way, uh, living in Rome and doing the show, there were, there were a couple of occasions, you know, when we, we'd go along and, and, and get an audience with Francesco Totti. And he was always a very genial fellow. Not, not to be fair, the most interesting of interviews um, because the whole kind of, the more entertaining aspect of his public persona came kind of afterwards, I think, when, when with Hilary Blasi's kind of arrival and, and that, that whole kind of realisation that he could play upon this idea that he was, I wouldn't say a little bit simple, but yeah, certainly not the sharpest of, of, okay. of, of footballers. And they kind of made a little bit of an industry out of that with his books, all the money of which went to their very good causes um, and various other, other things. But no, he was a really pleasant chap, a massive figure. It was clear, but you know, even then, this is kind of mid-90s, so kind of, I spoke to him that he was very much the centre of it everything at that club um and i think it's remarkable when you look at i don't know you could say wayne rooney for example who's yeah. almost 10 years younger than him how tall has been able to evolve as a player not just in terms of the way he's lived his life his conditioning but also the way that you know tactically he's approached football the way that he's remained relevant maybe not this season but last season he played a huge role in, in roma's campaign you know approaching his 40s uh, I think it's just a testament to the fact that whilst he was always depicted as this like bimbodoro, this kind of like golden, yeah. this happy child almost, that that he is actually in, in football terms a very very intelligent, uh, intelligent man, um, and uh, yeah, an absolute legend. Yeah, so some he... of the goals he scored, uh, uh, he's um, I don't know. I was thinking the other day actually because one of the things about Totti obviously is the fact that he he is a bandiera. He, 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 Never left Roma. He's Roma through and through. He was a ball boy at the European Cup. Well, he was certainly there to see the European Cup defeat to Liverpool back in the 80s. And there's all this kind of mythology about him and how much he represents the club. And he never left even when Real Madrid came calling or Milan came calling. And it's fabulous. But part of me really regrets that we didn't get to see him at a Real Madrid. And I know it's almost heretical to say yeah. that, but... It would have been fascinating to see how his career would have evolved uh, and, and maybe how appreciation of him would have spread even further had he been, you know, had he been placed in a different context and what it would have brought out of him as well. Because with the best win in the world, Roma have, have been a performing club for too many of his seasons. And it's been a shame almost to, it's a little bit like having a, a bus seat and hanging it in a slightly unlit, slightly 
unfrequented back room of a gallery. Yeah, just to take you back to something you said there a minute ago, I'm a little bit ignorant of it. Yeah. You said that they almost made a little industry after a few years out of him not being uh, having the greatest depth ah, of yes. well, intelligence. No, yeah, he he became a, a, a massive figure uh, off the field as much as, as on it. Things like his marriage to uh, Hillary being televised and live. Um, but also a series of... And it, I, I don't think there's a footballer in Italy who's appeared in as many adverts as Totti. You know, and generally playing the same kind of genial, slightly cheeky buffoon, buffoon uh, for whom things tend to always work out all right. Um, but I, the, the main thing that kind of happened was that... Um, as I say, he had this reputation for not being the sharpest of, of individuals. And they released a one and two and I think three in the end book, joke books, uh, jokes about Totti. Oh, which nice. were all done for charity. And you know, he put these together himself or certainly gave them his, his name and his approval. And they would all be kind of things like um, he walks in with, a, with his jigsaw puzzle and says to Hillary, uh, um, darling, darling, I'm so excited. I, I've finished... Uh, I finished my my puzzle. It, it only took me three weeks, and it says three to four years on the box. <laughs> but yeah, that's very much the level it's <laughs> fished at. But anyway, it's, it's a lovely sign that he can, you know, indulge in self, uh, such self-deprecation for 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 a good cause. <laughs> Uh, we threw um, our social media open to a few readers' questions. If you don't mind me throwing it up you now, James. Um, sure, yeah, yeah. Garrod Rafferty says, AC Jimbo what? strikes me as one yeah. of the most intelligent men on football t- television in Britain. Uh, will he tell us what's on his yeah. bookshelf? On my bookshelf, there are, uh, in football book terms, uh, well, there's Cultural by John Foote, which I regard as an excellent uh, and encyclopedic um, account of the, the many stories that uh, have happened along the way in, in, in football's rise in Italy. Uh, um, along with that, there are lots of books, really. I mean, I, were I in front of it now, I could read some out. Um, good Lord, I've drawn a blank because I'm, I'm not actually in front of it right now. Uh, uh, some history books, uh, lots of kind of vaguely dyspeptic books about, about um, you know, the kind of Paul Auster variety, which I'm really for a while, some more kind of warmly humanist things like Kurt Vonnegut and that. Um, <laughs> oh, lots of that Robert Harris fellow who, who's, uh, who's, who's Roman trilogy I really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, lots of books and uh, some various kind of curious objects which have found their way into my house uh, over the years. And um, that, that's about it. Probably some candles, I'm thinking. <laughs> um, Mitch Lindsay uh, wants to know why the big desserts, Jimbo. Uh, we assume that's uh, a reference to Football Italia, and not that he's shadowing your every meal. Yes. Uh, well, um, I mean, I was kind of dimly conscious of the fact that Football Italia was kind of selling something beyond the football, and, and part of what it was selling was that whole notion of Italy and. Uh, Sunlit piazza and lovely locations and glamorous passers-by, but also uh, wonderful ice cream. So um, the guy who was the producer said at the start, listen, we think we should have a little section which is just going to be about the big stories, but we don't have any money, so um, we're not going to get any footage or anything. Can you just get the newspaper and hold that up? You know, just kind of have a pile of newspapers, go to a cafe or something. And he basically just invented this genre. He said, just go to a cafe, somewhere nice, and, and just sit there and kind of hold some papers up and tell us what, what, what's in the stories. And so, um, 
given that most places you point a camera in Italy look pretty sensational, yeah. um, that all worked out pretty well. We, we did that, and you know, sitting in these places, we had we wanted to dress the table nicely, so we we tended to get the biggest, most exciting uh, dessert possible, um, and and it would sit there, and often it would melt, and we'd have to get another one. Um, but uh, the, the, the great tragedy of this is, is that so rarely because of the kind of filming schedule, did I have the time to sit and enjoy it? And in fact, if I had my time again, were I to go back and relive the whole experience, I think the biggest change that I would make would be to actually just sit and, and, and have the desserts. <laughs> uh, one final question, because we've kept you uh, kept you way too long. Uh, loads of people asked not, us. Not, not at all. Um, Paul Kenny, and I'll give I'll give Paul Kenny the name drop. But loads of people asks uh, your favourite footballer uh, from the football Italia years. Favorite Italian well, footballer, I assume. Yeah, no, it's a tough question because there, there were so many greats. Uh, I had a, I mean, Totti because of a Roma fan, Senior uh, because he was such a smashing bloke. Um, obviously, things worked out a little bit more darkly for him. Uh, Zola later on, you know, it tended to be more that kind of player because Mancini. I loved to watch Mancini play as well, but the player. And then there were other funny ones, like, I don't know, uh, Dario Hubner and uh, Igor Protti, who was the most unlikely of kind of goal-scoring heroes um, for Bari down, down in the south. But uh, it has to be, and this is going to be the least interesting answer I could possibly okay. give you, but it has to be Roberto Baggio, because there's something quite remarkably other about Baggio. There's something really that, uh, for me, puts him in a completely different category to all other footballers that I've ever seen in any other country, or in any country. Um obviously supremely gifted with the football at a time when we really weren't used to seeing footballers do kind of thing. Um, but as a person, whether because of his kind of interesting mindset, his kind of Buddhist philosophy, or just there was something about him that he was so special. And the, the most, you know, the, the, the biggest day for me that, uh, on Football Italia were, were times when I got to meet Baggio and, uh, I had a couple of those in the, in the first season. What Somebody stuck one of them up on YouTube the other day, and it's quite hilarious. There's me kind of with hair, okay. uh, trying to sound posh, <laughs> uh, meeting him in, 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 in his clothes shop up in Caldonia, up in, the, in sort of near Vicenza in the northeast of the country. And um, this, there's a kind of like twinkling wisdom, uh, but an enigmatic twinkling wisdom to him um, that, you know, in, in his, you know, in, in terms of his philosophy, that suggests that he's, He's been, this isn't his first rodeo, but, but yeah, he doesn't speak a lot and he doesn't really say anything all that interesting. I thought Viali was always a much more interesting interview, but at the same time, there was just a charisma about him that was just knockout. Whether it's just because, you know, we'd all seen him playing football in a crazy fashion mm. as a result, thought he was special, but he did, it, it just always felt special with, with, with bad job. Great. But actually, on a one-to-one basis, if I was to sit down and have dinner with anybody tomorrow, it would be Nicola Berti. Okay. Nicola Berti, the middle of the inter and, and you know, the great Italy side of the early 90s. Just because he's understanding? Oh, sorry, why? <laughs> because he is a tremendously funny man and, and really, really warm, charming individual. Uh, was very kind to us. When, when I first arrived, like my first season in 1993, uh, he kind of took me under his wing a bit, would introduce me to players and that kind of thing, and say, hey, so us can actually come over and talk to this bloke, and uh, just generally be uh, a, a nice guy. But also, I mean, he really he cracked it. He had this 
he had this uh, reputation as a kind of good time fellow, you know, yeah. that he basically, if there were parties and stuff going on, it would all be at Nicola's. But uh, so I don't think anyone, I mean, certainly his public image wasn't that thing, a particularly shrewd individual. But uh, after he retired, I read this interview with him where he basically explained that when he got his first paycheck as a player, he realized, my goodness, that's a lot of money. If I handle this right, I never need to work again. Um, so he basically uh, put enough money aside that now he lives, well, certainly last time I, I, I heard of him, he was living uh, six months a year in Milan and six months a year in the Bahamas and just sailing his yacht. Uh, and that's his life because he put enough money aside to do it. So um, he's, a, he's a guy who knows how to make the right choices. And uh, I think it would be interesting to catch up with him. Yeah, and he also might pay for dinner. Uh, James, thanks so much for taking the time to chat to us. Not at all, Gavin. Well, I enjoy that. I'm still jealous. Yeah, sorry. I'm very, I'm very annoyed. Like, very, very annoyed. I remember my father, like, when we were, I was maybe three, four, okay. and my father and I would be, like, playing football on the halls, much to the disgust of my mother, and, like, my dad would kind of lift me up and just roar the Golazio from the, from the opening credits, and, like, I, I remember for years trying to figure out, like, is is it go Lazio? Like, is it go Lazio? And whatever. It's a Brazilian commentator doing saying go Lazio, basically, with so, the, yeah. the Portuguese expression go Lazio. But the reason they included it was because the way he says it sounds like go Lazio. And the show was originally meant to be presented by Paul Gascoigne. Yeah. So that was that was the whole hook. But uh, And Jimbo is a Roma fan, as he lets yes, you in absolutely. that. So it, it might have been trolling James Richardson as well. I'm sure it might have. I'm sure it might have. Listen, uh, as we mentioned... James will be appearing at Football Weekly live at the National Stadium. That's on the South Circular Road. Uh, June 7th with Amy Lawrence, Barney Ronay and Barry Glenn Denning. Plus our friend Ken Early, former guest, not on this podcast, but on Squeaky Balls Balls Time, time, our Facebook Mm. live show. Also, slightly more famous maybe for his work with Second Captains, Ken. He'll be discussing Steve Bruce's crime novels. Ooh, sorry. (laughs) Steve Bruce's crime novels with Seamus O'Reilly. Uh, who one of those crime novels or sorry one of the reviews uh, to those crime Which novels I think is an infinitely better piece of writing than the original novel uh, yes also yes I'd agree with that yeah. Seamus uh, wrote one of those for this very website mm-hmm. so you can check that out I mean just it does tend to sort of just pop up in our Twitter feed every now and then people just tweeting it that they've discovered it in the bowels of, of Google but uh, yeah so Ken will be discussing those crime novels with Seamus O'Reilly the author of a review of <laughs> Steve Bruce is one of Steve Bruce. No, I think he's reviewed like many of them, actually. He's done three of them, one for this website and two for a rival website, whom we shall not name. Oh, yeah? What are you at, Seamus? Come back to us. Yeah, listen, uh, London listeners as well, if you are listening to this from London or the UK, James will be celebrating the 25th anniversary of Gazzetta Football Italia on June 19th at Union Chapel. I think that's down in Islington. Is that how you pronounce it? Islington? I think so, yeah. It's not like Islington or something. No, yeah, Islington, Union Chapel, June 19th. And Balls listeners slash readers can receive a 10% discount to either of these shows by entering the promo code BALLS on the Eventbrite page. So type BALLS and uh, get some money off. I felt like Bill Simmons there. It's time for our Ladbrokes Bet of the Week. Get double the odds on first goal scorer with Ladbrokes. That's right, if you're winning first goal scorer scores in the opening 20 minutes of selected live matches, then Ladbrokes will double the odds. Available in Ladbrokes shops nationwide. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Dunlewy.net. Ladbrokes offers, Gav. Uh, yeah. Thursday's multiple. Throw them at me. Yeah, so Thursday's multiple is Man United, Millwall and Bradford all to win at 10 to 1. Okay. I'm going to stop 
You're right there, Gav, because Man United will not win. They're away to Celta Vigo. Yeah, they won't, half a team. they won't. They won't beat Celta Vigo in Spain. Uh, I don't think they're going to go through. Really? Yeah, no, I don't think so. And I also think if they do go through, Ajax, that I've just watched for 20 minutes before recording this podcast, will beat them soundly. Okay, so I mean, you don't expect. I mean, Mourinho said today that Europa League is the focus, and if he needs to rest players for the sure Arsenal game, he'll rest them. Sure, he's been saying that for weeks. Like, it yeah. doesn't matter a shite, really. I mean, having previously said that he doesn't the Europa League, well, he's not does not deserve his presence or something along there. Yeah, I but mean, hey, times change. We shouldn't. I'm sure I've contra- contradicted myself over the course yeah, of this podcast. Are people not allowed so. to change their minds, Gavin? I, mean, I suppose the greatest thing a man can do is change his mind, Gav. That's true. But uh, no, I just don't see United getting past Altavigo. I, I, I think. Uh, John Guidetti came out midweek and he said former Manchester City striker John <laughs> Guidetti as you know said uh, well as you know Manchester is blue and it will still be blue when we arrive in Manchester what a crock of shit that is by John Guidetti by the way what did he ever do for Man City he's a decent striker but he never did anything for City no I mean maybe in football manager you could turn him into something but yeah I mean he only made a handful of appearances John yeah. he's, uh, he's alright though he's doing well doing well enough to sell to Vigo yeah so yeah anyway that's that's the uh, Thursday multiple Man United Millwall and Bradford all to win 10-1 to double odds matches Gav if you're winning first goal scorer scores in the first 20 minutes of the following games you get double odds uh, Wednesday Monaco versus Juventus that will probably be completed by the time you hear this podcast so sorry about that if you fancy to pop off Kylian Mbappe or Bernardo Silva. Thursday, Celta Vigo versus Man United. So, Iago Aspas will make you money there. Uh, <laughs> Friday, West Ham versus Spurs. Saturday, Man City versus Crystal Palace. Sunday, Liverpool versus Southampton. And also, Arsenal versus Manchester United. And on Monday, Chelsea versus Middlesbrough. So, some tasty double odds games there. You picked the better of the week, Gav. Yes, indeed, I did, Gavin. Um, now, to be honest with you, this one... <sighs> We've we've kind of I suppose we've returned to a bit of a rot with the bed of the week uh, in the sense that we've made a balls of them the last two weeks. Yeah. After a fine run of form. Now, now that was down to me picking the bet. I have to say, I've, uh, I've been picking them and they haven't been landing. And yours have been landing. So go on. How are we going to make us money this week? Well, you see, I was asked to pick this bet yesterday, Gav, and I sarcastically replied to. Uh, or one of our colleagues in sales who had asked us to pick the bet. Um, I just had to go off them about something else and actually forgot to make the bet. Okay. So then I was at home today oh, and I got a notification feel the, feel saying, the moral where, crumbling where, 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 the, where the hell is the bet? And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. So I kind of panicked, Gav, I'm not going to lie to you. And okay. I picked uh, Juventus, Ajax and Tranmere to win. Tranmere? Who are Tranmere, Tranmere playing? Do you Don't know, know Gav. <laughs> 11 to 1. Hold on, I'll Google. I have a computer in front of me. Yeah, okay. Uh, so you Google that, but we are... I mean, Ajax are, have gone 3-0 They're up. They're now 3-0 up, yeah. Since we, so we're, we're 1 for 3 here. Juve now are away at Monaco. That's going to be extremely difficult for them, but they're also arguably the best team in Europe. So I'm holding out hope that Juve can get a 1-0 or a 2-1. And of course, Tranmere are playing probably Macclesfield or somebody. Wrong. They're away to Aldershot Town in... At the time of recording, two minutes time. Oh, kick wow. Out, kicks off at seven o'clock. So we'll be keeping um, an eye on that In the first one. round playoff uh, in the conference to get promoted back into the football league. Yeah, just um, to so tire we'll know By 10 o'clock tonight, we'll know. And yeah. sorry, more importantly, listeners will know how wrong we are. That's but true. it looks like you will land at least one of those three legs. Yes. Uh, I mean, just to clarify, this is our kind of a charity bet of the week. So it's not necessarily like we're, we're giving you a tip here of, uh, of a game that will be over by the time you, you hear this podcast. <laughs> this is just the, uh, the bet that we put God, on the front. They it right again this <laughs> week. <laughs> they keep doing that. <laughs> the Darren Brown lottery trick, predicting the lottery <laughs> when it's actually <laughs> announced. 
Uh, but yeah, that's our bet of the week, 11 to 1. So uh, good luck to Tranmere away to Aldershot and hopefully you get, get the job done for us as well. But Gav, it's time to move on to weird shit from the internet. At Ladbrokes, if one team lets you down on your ACA of five teams or more, you'll get your money back as a free bet up to 25 euro. Ladbrokes, online, mobile and in shop. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Dunlouis.net. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, my words. Oh. Gav, we've seen some really, really weird shit from the internet this week. It's been a weird week of shit on the internet. It's been a weird week, but it's they've really just chronicled a really weird decade or so of football in the Northeast. Yeah, it's a miserable, is, miserable part of the world. Um, Football-wise, it definitely is. Well... I mean, Middlesbrough and Sunderland are going down. Newcastle are back, obviously. They did, mm. you know, have But the a fact brief they went down at all is incredible. And they did have a brief few Again. hours basking in success and promotion when they were then raided over possible tax evasion by HMRC a few de- few hours later. But anyway, um, so a Sunderland fan, this is really quite brilliant, after relegation tweeted that um, for every like or favourite he get on a tweet, he would tweet one ridiculous aspect of Sunderland's recent history. Um, he called himself the football hater, appropriately enough, for a, for a team managed by, De- by David Moyes. And so he, got, he ended up getting over a thousand we likes. we that this wasn't actually David Moyes? Um, we're not that sure. He's changed his name a few times, by the way. We, um, I, put, I did an article on this and put, put his tweets on the site, and he mugged us off and he called himself Unpaid Content Creator, uh, which was well, pretty smart. He's welcome, now called... Welcome to the club, bud. Uh, the... <laughs> He's now called the Bastano Uberist, which I hope isn't rude because I don't know what that means. Um, but he got over a thousand likes, the poor guy, and to compound his pain, he had more than enough material in which to fill those thousand likes. And we go through some of the stories Absolutely. that have occurred at Sunday. See, I'd, I was I was off for a couple of days, so I'd seen that these were happening, but I didn't understand remotely what they were, and I've just not even paid attention to them. So this is all new to me, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, these aren't exactly in chronological arrangement, thank, because I put these together on the early hours of Bank Holiday Monday through the fog of my horrendous hangover. Uh, but here are some of them. Uh, trailing the announcement of the signing of a world-class international defender with a timed announcement, and it turning out to be Phil Babb. Uh, Josie, Alt- uh, Josie Altador being billed by Paolo Di Canio as one of the top stri- strikers in Europe uh, and he went on to score one goal in 42 games yeah he's flying for Toronto now mind you he's linking up with uh, Sebastian Giovinco really well at the moment conceding three own goals in eight minutes the disputed goals committee having to rule on which of two Sunderland players scored one of them holy shit uh, Nicolas Medina, who made zero league appearances in three years at Sunderland, but was good enough to get a cap for Argentina in that time. <laughs> uh, selling Darren Bent and having no strikers for the last month of the season, leaving us with Nedim Anuaha up front because he once scored against Chelsea. Yeah, yeah I remember that goal. Uh, David Moy saying there was no point signing anyone because they'd just be shite and not actually improve the team. Uh, getting relegated with the record top flight three points for a win total of 19 points. Getting promoted again two years later and then going down with 15 points. Uh, Rory DeLapp making 12 appearances for Sunderland under four different managers, plus a fifth and a pre-season friendly. Uh, becoming obliged to sign Ricky Alvarez, deciding we didn't want him, then being forced to pay the agreed £10 million transfer fee not to have him. Um <laughs> Putting a clause into Stefan Schwartz's contract that he was not permitted to travel to outer space while he played for us. 
uh, a repeat. Uh, but Josie Altador being so shit that if Josie scores, we're on the pitch, becoming a chant about a fucking striker. Uh, Jonathan Stead scoring two goals in 35 games and still not even having our second worst goal scoring record since then. <laughs> Uh, beating Newcastle six times in a row in a period when we only beat one other team more than twice. Uh, getting rid of Stanislav Stanislav Varga yeah. because his knees were completely shot, and then buying him back again, regardless. Three hours or three years later, <laughs> sorry, three hours later. That's that's kind of believable if it were Sunderland. And Michael Gray turning up in a uh, turning up to trainees in a training even on a brand new Ferrari uh, on the day that we made tens of staff redundant. Yeah, club captain as well, by the way, Michael Gray. Uh, Nairon knows really conceding a corner with an attempted back pass from the halfway line. Four wins from 56 games in our last in our first eight games of the last seven seasons. Uh, forgive me. As uh, Jermaine Lenz, our own player, saying that he hopes we get he uh, that we get relegated this season. Uh, Roy Keane reacting to one of his players actually having a heart attack by saying, "I'm surprised that they found one." Uh, that's in relation to poor Clive Clark. Uh, Steve Bruce forcing out the then good Kenwin Jones by playing him at centre back in pre season and then brazenly insisting that it is his preferred position. Uh, being the only team to have had 10 seasons in the top flight in the Premier League era, not to at any point get into Europe. An 8 0 defeat to Southampton featuring three own goals, one of which from Santiago Virginia was possibly the cleanest struck OG ever, and becoming nostalgic. nostalgic for the attacking threat posed by Phil Barnsley. Holy... Oh, sorry, one last shout. Mick McCarthy taking a training session on the beach and Julio Arca, uh, their best player, getting stung by a jellyfish and ending up in hospital. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking, Gaff. I think uh, that's, that's farce that couldn't be possibly be matched or plumbed by any other, oh any other club God. in the Premier League. Like, surely no other club could match that level of farce. Surely not, Gav. Uh, introducing you to Johnny Sharples, uh, who tweeted on the 1st of May, uh, two days ago, one like equals one ridiculous thing from Newcastle United's recent history. Okay. I know, Johnny. Are we ready for a few? Yeah. Director of Football Dennis Wise vetoing a cut-price deal for Bastian Schweinsteiger in favour of loaning a player he'd seen on YouTube. <laughs> uh, German international Dietmar Hamann in his first season at the club, receiving the secret Santa gift of a copy of Mein Kampf. Holy uh, shit. Alan Pardew blaming a 2-0 defeat away at Chelsea in August 2012 on the Notting Hill Carnival. Um, <laughs> I don't know the context of that one. I kind of don't want to know anymore. Uh, Joe Kinnear ringing up TalkSport to declare himself Newcastle's <laughs> new director of football and calling our best player Johan Kebab. <laughs> Shola Amiobi being asked what his teammates call him and replying Shola and then being asked what Sir Bobby Robson calls him and saying Carl Court. Newcastle midfielders Kieran Dyer and Lee Boyer both being sent off in a match against Aston Villa for fighting each other. Uh, a fan punching a police horse. Uh, spending nearly £6 million on Spanish defender Marcelino and him only making 17 appearances over four years because of a broken finger. Uh, Nobby uh, Apparently. Uh, Nobby Solano withholding his number, ringing up Sir Bobby Robson and playing his trumpet down the phone to him. And finally, David Ginola being told he couldn't smoke on the team bus because it was unhealthy just as the bus pulled up to buy the squad fish and chips. <laughs> the thing is, like, with the Newcastle one, I feel as though a lot of those are really well documented. And I'm just starting to think, like, I always look at Newcastle and Sunderland, and I always have found Newcastle to just be a louder fan base. Like, they're more yeah. vociferous in their dissatisfaction with affairs of their club. And 
I, I, there were a number of those Sony 11 ones. Like I'd say, the vast majority of them I'd never heard of. The Newcastle ones are a little bit more, a little bit more infamous, you know. Yeah, the Sony 11 ones are absolutely incredible. Like. There's a couple. Of, I mean, I remember Joe Kinnear once going scouting a player, and he was impressed by Shane Ferguson, whom Newcastle had loaned to whatever club he, he had was just already scouted playing for at. Newcastle. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, there was what I saw. Somebody had suggested uh, one like equals one ridiculous thing from Manchester United's history which we might need to uh, check in on next week. Okay. Because I'm sure there was some pretty decent stories from uh, from Dream Team and that, like, you know. I know a lot of people, like, there was a couple of Leeds guys tried to do it and to, to limited success. Leave it to the lads in the Northeast, I think, you know. They just have it down to a T, the whole misery thing. 100%. Oh, God bless them. Listen, that's all we've time for. I'm okay. glad we ended on that note now. Jesus, that was very good. Uh yeah, you can subscribe to this podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, all the um, all the Android podcast providers. Uh, just search Balsody Football. It's easy enough to find. Friends and Football is out at the moment with Graham Hunter. We really enjoy that. And thanks really, uh, thanks a million, I should say, for the feedback. It's all been pretty great, pretty massive. So sincerely appreciate it. Um, until the next time, I suppose, Gaff. We'll be back next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, until then, take it easy. Campionato di calcio italiano.